Chapter Twenty Four of Brenda, Her School, and Her Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Tara Mendoza. Brenda, Her School, and Her Club by Helen Leah Reed. Chapter Twenty Four An Evening's Fun. Mrs. Blair had said that all the preparations for the bazaar must be completed on Tuesday, the day before it was to open. She knew the ways of girls too well to think that it would be safe to have anything left for Wednesday morning. The flower table, of course, had to be arranged on that day, and some things for the refreshment table, but so definite had she been in expressing her wishes that the girls felt that it was due her for lending her house to pay all deference to what she said. On the Monday, therefore, after Easter, they went to work with a will to gather in the promised contributions. There were naturally some disappointments, but on the whole the fancy articles bestowed upon them were numerous and beautiful, and many were the O's and A's from the four and their assistants, when on Tuesday they fell to the task of opening the parcels and arranging their contents on the tables. Tuesday was rainy, and at dusk, gave little promise of a bright sky for the following day. Brenda was in a tremor of excitement. Oh, dear, how dreadful if tomorrow should be stormy. I'm sure it will be. And what shall we do? With great emphasis on the shall. Full many a cloudy morning turns out a sunny day, sang Nora, while Edith patted Brenda on the back and said, Well, we can't do anything to change the weather, and we might as well hope for the best. I know that a lot of people will come, even if it rains, and perhaps they'll be good and buy three times as much as they would in fine weather. Just then Julia came in with the evening paper in her hand. See, or rather hear, the news. Old probability says, clear and fair Wednesday. Mrs. Blair sent this paper up from the library to cheer you. There was a large patch of blue in the west when the sun went down. The sun! exclaimed the others derisively. In the place where the sun should have gone down, she responded with a smile. Why, how well the rooms look! There won't be a thing for the boys to do this evening, for Philip and Will Harden and one or two others were to come in the evening to see what they could do to help. And in view of their coming, Mrs. Blair had invited the girls to stay to dinner. Oh, no, there really isn't a thing for them to do. But perhaps when they see how hard we have worked, they will make up their minds to spend any amount of money tomorrow. I think it's a rather good idea to have them come tonight, so that they can make a lot of the other boys come tomorrow. Boys are not so fond of spending money at fairs, I can tell you that, said Nora, rather decidedly. And besides, most of them are so much in debt that they haven't anything to spend. Oh, well, Philip's friends are not like that, said Belle, rather sharply. I know several who have more money than they know what to do with. Some juniors that I know, New York fellows, are coming tomorrow, and they will spend a lot of money. Gracious, exclaimed Brenda. I hope that we have things that will suit them. It seems to me that most of these things are for girls to use. Oh, they can buy things for their sisters and cousins. Besides, boys like pincushions and picture frames and sofa pillows. Oh, I am sure that we shall have no trouble getting them to buy all that they can afford, replied Belle positively. As a matter of fact, when the boys after dinner were ushered into the pretty little ballroom, 
where the tables laden with fancy goods stood, they expressed great interest in all that they saw, and began to make bids for the things which seemed to them best worth having. "'Look out!' cried Nora, "'or we may take you at your word, Will Hardin, and make you pay one hundred dollars for that crimson pillow that you admire so.' "'Well, why not?' he inquired, "'as long as it is to be in a good cause.' "'Oh, no!' interrupted the practical Edith. "'That would not really be fair. "'Besides, I am sure we ought not to sell anything until tomorrow. "'Everybody ought to have an equal chance at the beginning.' "'Oh, how silly you are, Edith!' broke in Brenda. "'As if all the people who come to the bazaar could be here at the same minute. "'If anyone wants to bid on anything tonight, I say that it is perfectly fair.' After much discussion, it was at last decided that any one who had a great preference for any special thing might write his name on a piece of paper and have it pinned to the object with the limit of price that he was willing to pay. Then you must be willing, said Brenda, to let us sell the things you have chosen if some fussy old person comes along and wishes any of these reserved things and refuses to be contented with anything else. But in that case, what are we to do? cried two or three of the boys in chorus. Oh, there will be plenty of things that will suit you just as well, if you only make up your minds to it. Perhaps you'll want me to buy a blue sofa pillow, or some other Yale thing, sighed Will Harden. Perhaps I shall be driven to take this, moaned Philip, holding up a large doll dressed in long embroidered robes of a baby. All the girls laughed, except Edith, who seldom saw the funny side of things as quickly as the others. Well, "'You can see yourselves, boys,' she said in a determined tone, "'that you ought to be glad to buy whatever is left over, "'but you probably won't get in until toward evening. "'You can always find someone to give the things to that you buy.' "'This doll?' asked Philip, holding it rather clumsily on his arm. "'Why, of course,' said Edith. "'We know several children who would be delighted with it at Christmas.' "'No, thank you, Sister Edith,' responded Philip. I'm not going to spend my hard-earned allowance in presents for children. If you make me buy this doll, out it goes to a certain room in one of the college buildings to become a cherished decoration. And, waving the doll dramatically in the air, I shall defy any proctor or college authority to tear it away from me. Then I hope you may get it, murmured Will Hardin to Ruth Roberts. I can't imagine anything that would amuse the fellows more, and we'd have to hold open house for a week or two, a regular reception. "'But, you know, I'm in earnest about that pillow,' he added, "'for he knew, and Ruth knew that he knew, "'that the down pillow with its rich crimson cover "'embroidered with a large H "'was the work of her skillful fingers.' "'Ruth and Will had met several times since the ball-game, "'and although the four had not yet discovered it, "'these two young persons had begun to take considerable interest in each other. "'You wouldn't pay a hundred dollars for it,' queried Ruth. If I couldn't get it any other way, of course I would, and besides, it would be worth much more to me. This was not entirely an idle boast, this readiness to spend a large sum of money for a small thing on the part of Will, as Philip and some of his classmates might have testified. Although very quiet in his way of living, and in his general conversation, he had a larger income than many in his set. His tastes were simple and though he naturally spent more than the average undergraduate in accordance with the habit of the set to which he belonged, he still had enough to spend on others, and more than one of his less fortunate classmates had reason to thank him for what he had done for him. 
No one knew of his liberality except those whom he helped, for he had not the least wish to pose as a benefactor. Now Ruth, while pleased at his wish for the cushion, had no idea that he would, if necessary, pay a hundred dollars for it. "'If you really wish to have it, I'll try to secure it for you,' she said. "'I am sure there won't be any trouble, although I suppose that it can't be laid aside to-night, as long as Edith feels as she does.' "'Very well,' answered Will. "'I'll trust to you, for I really do want it very much.' "'Come,' cried Brenda, rushing up to them. "'You are not doing a thing, you two. "'Well, the rest of you seemed so busy that we thought we should only be in the way.' said Will, with a glibness that is almost second nature with youths of his age. But we're ready to work now. And they went across the room to the surprise table where a half a dozen of their friends were busy. The surprise table had been an idea of Bell's, and was a rather agreeable change from the usual grab bag. All kinds of little things, toys, novelties, like those used as German favors, small books and photographs, were neatly done up in bright tissue paper wrappings and tied with silk ribbons. They were heaped on a large table, and purchasers were permitted to buy each little package at their own price, provided at least according to a sign placed above the table that no bid should be for less than fifteen cents. Nora was to have charge of this table, and she expected to have a great deal of fun out of the misfits between the purchasers and the parcels. Altogether the preparations for the bazaar had moved along much more smoothly than anyone had expected. It is true that the various mothers of the girls comprising the four had said that they would be glad enough when it was all over, because for a fortnight it had been impossible to get the girls to think of anything else. Yet each of these mothers saw a compensation for the excitement of this last week or two in the fact that her daughter had shown more perseverance than she had given her credit for. Mrs. Barlow was especially pleased with the good spirit that her niece Julia had shown, for it would have been so easy and natural for her at the last to display a little pettishness in the way of a refusal to have anything to do with the bazaar, in view of the fact that she had not been invited to join the four at their weekly meetings for work. But Julia was not one to show this kind of resentment, and since she had become interested in Manuel, she was only too glad to help the bazaar that was to benefit him. At her aunt's suggestion, she had made it her special duty to collect flowers and plants for the flower-table, and armed with notes of introduction from Mrs. Barlow, she had gone to many a supposedly close person to ask for some small contribution to the flower-table. Her success had been altogether remarkable, and in addition to the cut flowers that were to arrive on Wednesday, a great many beautiful potted plants and vines had been sent in from various conservatories for general decorations. The only real work for the boys who had come to assist consisted in moving some of these heavy plants about to places between the mirrors or near the flower-table where they would be most effective. The work did not, of course, proceed very rapidly, for every one in the group of fifteen or more had to give an opinion on everything, and a unanimous opinion as to what looked best in any particular case was naturally impossible. The large room was so handsome as to require comparatively little decoration. The long mirrors with which every side was panelled formed a complete decoration in themselves, and added to the general effectiveness, as Brenda said by making the tables look double. Now if the boys did not find a great deal of work to do, they were very outspoken in their admiration for all that had been accomplished by the girls. Well, if other people will only be as much impressed as you are, and will open their purses accordingly, we shall have nothing to complain of, said Nora. 
and I hope that you will all come back and buy everything that is left over by tomorrow evening. Can't we have first choice of anything? queried Tom Hurst, a mischief-loving friend of Philip's, whom some of the girls distrusted a little. No, answered Nora sternly. You must not be so selfish. There may be old ladies who will want—do you suppose that any old lady will want that tobacco pouch? asked Tom, with the most innocent expression on his face. She might, answered Nora, with a very dignified manner. She might if she had a son who was fond of smoking. At any rate, she ought to have first choice. Well, then, replied Tom, I don't believe that I shall return, for I am not sure that I ought to patronize an institution that encourages old ladies to buy tobacco pouches. They're more harmless for old ladies than for Harvard undergraduates, said another of the girls seriously, whereat two or three of the boys pulled cigarette cases out of their pockets and said, Wouldn't you rather have us use tobacco pouches than smoke these unwholesome cigarettes? You shouldn't use tobacco at all, cried Edith in a plaintive tone. At your age, Philip, you know how Mamma feels about it. Don't be a goose, Edith, retorted Philip, unless you want us to stay away tomorrow. Anyway, it's time we started for Cambridge. We're not used to late hours. At this the rest of the boys laughed rather more loudly than the occasion seemed to warrant. But with a return of good manners, they bade the girls good-bye and promised Mrs. Blair, who had returned to the room, that they would certainly drop in some time on Wednesday. "'Don't forget your promise to me,' said Will Harden in an undertone as he shook hands with Ruth, and Ruth promised not to forget. Ruth and one other girl were to spend the night with Julia and Brenda, so as to be ready early in the morning, and the rest of the assistants started off in a large group attended by one of Mrs. Blair's servants, for none of them had very far to walk. "'It certainly does look as if it might clear up,' said Belle to Nora as they walked along. "'Yes, indeed,' answered Nora. "'There are as many as twenty stars to be seen, and that is almost a sure sign. Some people believe that it will be fine the next day if you can count nine stars the night before.'" End of chapter 24 Recorded by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona, March 2011